Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hello, I'm Carrie Lucas, Managing Director at the Independent Women's Forum and your host for today's Working for Women podcast. Today, I'm here with Angela Logomassini, who is a senior fellow here at IWF and who just wrote our latest policy focus entitled, How Urban Planning Drives Up Home Prices. Angela, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me on your show. Great. Well, this is such an important topic and one that I feel like we really don't hear that much about, uh, uh, hear that much about even in an election year like this one. But, you know, the cost of buying or renting a place to live is a big concern for many Americans. How much we spend on housing impacts how much we have left in our budgets for other needs, whether that's foods and necessities like clothing or extras like vacations. You know, this not only impacts kind of our quality of life as, as individual people and families, um, but also impacts the economy and, and big-picture societal concerns, like whether or not people decide to have children. Um, so this is a really important topic. Um, can you tell us a little bit about a background of what's been happening in terms of housing prices in the United States? Well, you see around the country, especially in the big urban areas, that prices are, again, back up very high. And, in fact, a lot of places, even during the you know housing bubble collapse, Prices have been really high and unattainable for a lot of Americans. Not true in every city. Um, it has a lot to do with what's going on in particular cities, particularly uh, in California and different areas based on their, their public policies, not simply a supply and demand problem. Yeah, no, that's, really, that's really interesting. So what is it about if there's, um, you know, we, I think we all know that that kind of there was a big housing bubble and the housing prices tried to collapse for a while. But now it's in, in some of these urban areas where, where housing prices have, have gone up so much again and it's become a real problem for people to afford rent or, or, um, or buying a home or getting a mortgage. What is it about these urban areas um, that is driving prices up? Yeah, a lot of people do think it's a supply and demand thing. These are great places to live and it's just unaffordable. In reality, there's a whole host of governmental policies that fall under the, the heading of urban planning. The idea is to make life more livable, but a lot of these policies are just making life more expensive, particularly in places like Portland, Oregon. They decided they wanted to you know, have smart growth. They didn't want to have a lot of people taking cars, sort of a, a bit of a war against the suburbs. So they created what they call urban containment boundaries. So they're limiting supply inside the city area. You can't, uh, you can't produce new housing in that area, so it's very tightly limited. They can expand it a little bit, but they have never expanded it enough to meet the demand for people who want to live there. So if you cap supply and demand continues to go up, it becomes less and less affordable. This benefits the wealthy who already own homes, and it harms the poor and the, the middle class who are just trying to want to live in a nice area like Portland, Oregon. Um, so these type of policies are just capping the supply and people are just being locked out of the marketplace. Well, that's, yeah, that's interesting. I know that there's, um, that um, a lot of times, um, you know, people don't want to, um, public policy makers, whether that's, um, you know, um, actual elected officials or kind of the bureaucrats to get to create all these regulations, they don't want to burden individual people. So instead, they try to put fees on builders or, or homeowners, um, uh, building owners. Um, what happens when those fees are imposed on, on builders? Yeah, you know, the irony is they say they're, you know, they're limiting builders or whatever, but really they're limiting all of us, as you know. And so they put these regulations on. Right now, smart growth is the big thing, um, limiting where people can 
to can uh, where houses can be built, uh, and they're using a whole host of policies. Traditional policies were you know zoning, just simple zoning regulations to limit the number of people who could come into communities by limiting lot sizes. Um, and things of that nature, there's also a host of what they call affordability programs. And they say, well, we're going to make housing more affordable by forcing builders to provide a certain number of units when they build a, a new development for the poor. So they're going to sell those under market. Well, what ends up happening is they have a lottery and a few people get uh, a cheap place to live. Oftentimes it might be somebody who's temporarily poor, like a student um, or somebody between jobs. They get a really cheap place, and everybody else in the building is going to pay for that. So everybody else's fee is going to go up. Everybody else's uh, price of a new home in that building is much higher. So it ends up just, again, creating more pressure to bring prices upward for, for everybody else. Well, yeah, that's that's interesting. It's so it's it's kind of frustrating. I feel like so often, um, you know, we hear about trying to um, to make businesses pay um, or to raise costs on on builders, um, which are supposed to be an unsympathetic group. Um, but then, as we've seen in so much of life, whether it's health insurance or um, or grocery um, prices, food prices, anytime you raise prices on manufacturers, um, it ends up being priced uh, being passed on down to consumers. But what about, I know in some cities, I used to live in, in New York City for a while, and I had a, a few lucky friends who had um, rent-controlled apartments. Um, do programs like that end up um, helping people that make cities' life more affordable? Yes, yeah, so that was, that was the traditional approach. <clears throat> they would control the rents. Um, what ends up happening is the few people who have those, they hold them forever. And then the building managers yeah. and, the, and the building owners can't maintain the buildings properly, so you end up having urban decay. And the poor people can't get properties because the, the wealthy people who own these rent-controlled apartments forever, they just sublet them or they just hold on to them. You know, if it's really cheap, you know, why would you give up your luxury unit even though you've moved out to the burbs anyway? Uh, but you'd like to have something in the city, so people hold on to them. It, it's really a racket that... Um, yeah, but it- it's a war against the that's poor, a, if, you, if you will, because exactly, it's only benefiting yeah, it's, it's, the politically organized. Yeah, that's, that's funny. That's exactly what my experience in New York. I had a, um, a friend whose, whose grandmother um, owned, uh, had a rent-controlled apartment, and she was wealthy and had long since moved out, but she kept this apartment and um, you know gave it to her her um, grandkids were able to, to live there for, you know, next to nothing. Um, uh, but it sure wasn't, you know, helping kind of the poor or middle class or even just struggling um, young people really afford it. It was just a, a privilege, to, a real privileged family that got to take advantage of this of this policy that was sold under um, helping helping the poor. But so if, you know, if some of these, these programs that are sold as helping the poor um, aren't doing what they're intended to do. You know, what are what, what what can we do? What are government officials and um, what's the best kind of policy course uh, to try to make um, housing prices more affordable and to help, especially our city centers, become um, easier to access for for more people? Well, they need to start reversing course and allowing more um, incentivizing, allowing people to build, allowing them to benefit from that. Um, reducing, they have what they call high impact fees. They charge ridiculously high pra- taxes for builders. They need to start rolling those back. They need to start rolling back the rent control um, and stop relying on these programs that you know the, the set aside exclusive zoning, where they are you know setting aside properties. That actually will bring the prices down, make things more affordable. Cities that have more open policies actually have lower prices than the cities that are highly restrictive. The ones that 
claim to be uh, working for the poor are the ones that are actually the most expensive. So we need to start going back to a market-based approach. Well, gosh, that's, that's, that's really an interesting. This is such a good, important topic. I really appreciate you you writing on it, and I hope you can um, cover cover it more. I'd like to, you know, it's just interesting to know um, what kind of policies are out there working, and we would hope that um, some cities would start moving in the right direction. Um, you know, thanks again for talking to me today and writing on this important issue for us, Angela. Um, you know, I've learned a lot, and um, and then for all of you who are uh, out there listening, thank you for joining me. This has been another edition of IWF Working for Women podcast. Um, And you can find more about this topic and many more at IWF.org. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by IWF.org for similar content.